In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. What do you think of when you hear the kingdom of heaven is like? Right? Insert the blank. Perhaps many of us would immediately think something like that is to say, if we weren't familiar with the gospel or we hadn't heard uh, the gospel so wonderfully read uh, this morning and heard about the kingdom of heaven, we might think the kingdom of heaven is like winning the Super Bowl or our favorite team winning the World Series, or the kingdom of heaven is like winning the jackpot in the lottery, or acquiring a dream job, marrying that dream person, buying that dream home or that dream car, etc., etc. That is something big shiny, and glorious. And yet, in our lessons this morning, we hear from Jesus in his parables, and we hear from Paul in his letter to the Romans, that actually, in the kingdom of heaven, God works not in big, shiny, glorious fireworks, but in mundane, or at least mundane to us, details the everyday things of our lives, even our worst suffering where we can't imagine God could be. God does this. God works in these everyday ways, even in the ways of suffering, because he is radically committed to us. So before we dive into the gospel and uh, other lessons this morning, we first need to briefly touch upon what is the kingdom of heaven. I think a lot of us have assumptions or we immediately have a picture in our minds when we hear that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. We often think heaven is that place in the sky where you go when you die, the afterlife, right? Lots of clouds. Maybe, uh, you know, a cherubic baby's floating around with a bow and arrow or something like that, right? This is what we oftentimes imagine heaven is like, something after we die. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what Matthew means by the kingdom of heaven. What Matthew means and what Jesus is talking about when he says that phrase, when he says the kingdom of heaven, is the way that things work If God is in charge, in the here and now, here on this earth, in this life, indeed it will continue into the life everlasting, it will continue into the afterlife. But it's not primarily about then, it's primarily about now. It starts now. The kingdom of heaven is basically, it's an Old Testament concept, an Old Testament understanding of what Israel was called to be. God's people in God's place, in God's reign. Now, of course, there is only one who has ever been that, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. But in short, the kingdom of heaven is about the here and the now and how God works in your life today. And so turning to the Gospel of Matthew, we see a whole litany of, of wonderful parables. It's sort of greatest hits of the parables, if you will. Bam, 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 one after the other. Uh, We have really two pairs of parables 
and then uh, the parable of the net and, and the fish. But really, they're all connected. All five of them are connected in this theme of God's radical commitment to us in the mundane, in the everyday, and in the suffering. We have the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast and the leaven. And really here the theme is small things that become big things. And they have a big impact. The treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. Well, here we have the theme that the kingdom of heaven is like a small thing, but when you find it, it's worth more than the whole world. But sometimes it can be hard to find it. And then we have the parable of the net and the fish, bringing all the fish, and then uh, the fishermen separating the good fish from the bad fish at the end. Right? This is a parable of judgment, but even more so a parable of mercy. It harkens back to the parable last week of the wheat and the tares, right? And this great message uh, that is, it really says, don't judge one another. Leave the judging to God. He loves everybody universally. Everybody is included in his net, and he will do the judgment at the end. Don't try and do it yourself. So really, it's a parable of mercy. Now, each one of these parables has its own little wisdom, uh, but again, they're all connected to this idea that God is radically committed to us in our everyday life. We see really here the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. We see that the kingdom of heaven is a small thing. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast, which is um, invisible almost when you put it into the bread, right? It's like a pearl. Yes, pearls are valuable, but we can't really see it. It's so small you almost miss it. And treasure hidden in the field by its very definition, it's hidden. We can't find it. And so the theme here is that these are all things that are hard to see, hard to find, small, and yet they have a huge impact. And this shows the way God works in our lives. God works not in the big parades, in the big pyrotechnics, at least not primarily. He does sometimes. He does sometimes do big things, do big miracles. But primarily, he works in the small and in the everyday things of our lives. Unseen things, seemingly insignificant things, where we think there's no way God's working in this, or we don't even think about it. We don't even categorize it as an area where God is working. He's almost certainly working there. And this is true, ultimately, of Jesus. Jesus is overlooked. His earthly ministry seems to be a complete failure. He dies. The disciples think it's all a disaster. And yet, through that, God works and saves the world. And so God works unconditionally, graciously, lovingly in our lives in all of these areas, in all of these ways. Now, this is the point of the parable of the netted fish as well. By the way, this is how people caught fish in that day and age. This was the normal way of catching a fish. This is Jesus telling a parable that everybody would have really understood, right? You throw a net out and you drag everything to shore. And I mean everything, right? The good fish, the bad fish, the snakes, the old boots, the old tires and cans, right? That, you know, proverbially speaking, whatever it may be is dragged to shore in that net. 
And that parable shows God's universal love for the world. He doesn't just love some people. He loves the entire world, each one of us, including the tires and the old boots. And we all are sort of, you know, part, part good fish, part bad fish, right? We are simultaneously justified and a sinner, as the great uh, reformer Martin Luther loved to say. So we're all that, all in one. Um, and uh, God sends his son to save the whole world, lock, stock, and barrel. Everything in that net is being saved, right? Everything in that net is being brought to shore. And so the point of all those parables is that God is so radically committed, not to just some of us, but to each one of us. And he's radically committed to us in Jesus Christ. And he's radically committed to working in our lives, in all areas of our lives. Not just in the big things, not just in the areas where we think he needs to work or we invite him to work. But in the ways of suffering, in the small ways, in the ways where we don't expect him or even know to ask him to work. And then lastly, turning to Romans here. What Paul says in his letter wonderfully complements what we heard in the gospel this morning. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us all. Before we dive into Romans, we need to think back to last week because we've had this whole series of Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's been absolutely wonderful this season. Uh, But if you recall from last week, we're in the section where Paul is talking about hope. Last week, Paul said, all creation is groaning. We can't see it, but we hope for what we do not see. We hope, we await for God to finish the work that he has started in Christ. And we wait for it with groaning and with patience, says Paul. And this whole section that we're in right now is really about how we can hope, and what makes that hope possible. And what it isn't is hope isn't possible by our pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying a little bit harder. Hope is not something that we can produce in our bones when we long to hope and we say, I need to hope and I want to hope. And if only I can pray myself to hoping the right way. We can never ever do it. We can never produce the right amount of hope in ourselves. What Paul is saying here is that even hope is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a beautiful passage here about Christians in the midst of suffering. And the Christians that would have been receiving this letter from St. Paul would have been in the midst of incredible suffering in the very earliest persecution in the Roman Empire. They are really, really suffering under the Romans. And Paul's writing this letter about hope. And he's pointing to a humility, really, about human power. And he says, we don't even know how to pray, right? And we've all been there. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray for it. We feel in our bones that we need God for something. We get on our knees and we might say, God, help me. Or we might even not even have the words, right? Words too deep. 
uh, as, as Paul says here, uh, feelings, emotions, too deep for words, right? We get on our knees, we try and pray, we try and think of the words that we just say. Ah, God. And Paul says, that's okay. Because we need God. We need the Spirit to help us pray. The Holy Spirit intervenes for us, says St. Paul, in ways too deep for words. God corrects our prayers on the way up. Jesus is our great high priest, leading our worship, perfecting our worship on its way up. This is what we trust in, what we hope in, in the uh, liturgy of the Mass, right? We try and get it right. We do our very best, but we're always going to mess it up. And our great high priest is there at the right hand of God, taking our worship, taking our prayers, perfecting them, sanctifying them, and delivering them perfectly to God the Father. And this is true in our own prayers, in our own daily prayers, whether we're praying the daily office from the prayer book or we are simply praying those words of God. Ugh. We don't even know what to pray. The Holy Spirit takes those prayers from our lips, perfects them, sanctifies them, delivers them to Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who hands them as a gift, like incense, like sweet incense, to God the Father. And so Paul's saying there's a promise here from God that God is doing that and will do that no matter what. This shows God's radical commitment to us. It shows God's radical commitment to us even in those small things, even in those things of suffering, even in those areas where we don't think or imagine God could be able to work. And so in our suffering and in our everyday life, we can pray boldly about anything because God is so radically committed to us. And to conclude this morning, Paul gives us that great word of hope that God works out all things for good. This is not a naive sentimentality. As I mentioned, the Romans that would have received this letter were seriously suffering. Paul's not saying to them, and he's not saying to us here this morning, don't worry about that thing you're suffering with, right? Don't worry about that divorce. Don't worry about that cancer. It's all going to be okay. He's not saying that. Not at all. He's saying, that's suffering. That's terrible. That's not pleasant. But God is in it. God is working. And Paul's saying, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will work all things out for good. And as J.R.R. Tolkien says, in the age to come, all things sad will become untrue. And so what Paul's telling us here is that as baptized children of God, our suffering will be vindicated. It won't be erased, but it will be given meaning by God. The hardship in our lives will not be wiped away, but God will make it a tapestry for good. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God will use our suffering and he will use our everyday life. He will use all areas of our life to shape us into his likeness. 
And so what Paul's saying is God is giving whatever is going on in your life meaning. Even though you can't see it right now, we almost never see it in the moment. But God is using it and will continue to use it to shape us into the likeness of his son. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.